is a good day. Why don't you take a seat? So great to have you here today as we uh, remember, as we celebrate what Jesus did for us on this Good Friday. It's a Good Friday. So I want to say welcome. Welcome to everyone on the team. Welcome to everyone watching online today. And um, I'm just going to read a Bible reading um, from Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, starting at verse 16, it says, Early in the morning, oh, hold on. Starting from verse 16, it says, The soldiers led Jesus into the courtyard of the palace and called together the whole troop. They twisted him in purple, dressed him in purple, twisted some thorns into a crown and placed it on his head. Then they began to greet him, saying, Long live the king of the Jews. They kept hitting him on the head with a stick, spitting on him and kneeling in front of him with false humility. After the soldiers finished making fun of Jesus, they took off the purple cape, put on his own clothes, and they led him out to crucify him. A man named Siren from the city of Cyrene was coming into Jerusalem from his home in the country. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And as he was about to pass by, the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They took, the, they took Jesus to Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they tried to give him wine mixed with a drug called myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. Next, they crucified him. Then they divided his clothes amongst themselves by throwing dice to see what each one would get. It was nine in the morning, about now. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. There was a written notice of the accusation against him. It read, the king of the Jews... They crucified two criminals on, with him, one on his right, the other on his left. Those who passed by insulted him. They shook his head. What a joke. You were going to tear down God's temple and build it again in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. The chief priests and the experts in Moses' teaching made fun of him among themselves in the same way. They said he can't save, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him were insulting him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma shabbatikdai, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of the people standing there heard him say that, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and soaked a sponge in vinegar. Then he put it on a stick and offered Jesus a drink. The man said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus cried out in a loud voice and died. The curtain in the temple was split in two from top to bottom. When the officer who was stood facing Jesus saw how he gave up his spirit, he said, certainly this man was the Son of God. Amen. Doing things a little bit differently this morning because we want to give um, God as much time as we can. How's that sound? Does that sound all right? Sometimes we do church and almost plan God out of it. We try not to do that here. But this morning we want to give the Holy Spirit a bit extra time to mess with you. Is that okay? Because he loves messing with people. 
He's really good at it. But don't freak out because he's really gentle. I got a photo this morning I want to show you. This is my room. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, that's right. <laughs> you nailed it. Hey, let's pray first. Hey? Sorry, I forgot to do that. Leave the photo up. Lord God, we thank you um, that you loved us so much that you couldn't leave us alone. And so you came and you entered our world and you made a way um, when there was no way. You made a way for us to connect with you. So Lord, I pray that we would experience that connection today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, hoarding shows have become kind of popular in recent years. Hey, they come in and they find someone who's having trouble keeping the mess out of their house and they clean it up for them. And this one company I found on the internet, I think it's an American company, but it had this catchphrase, restoring homes and lives. It's a cool catchphrase, hey? And often they do restore homes and lives. It changes people's lives. And um, if... Oh, lost my picture. If we... um. If our rooms get into that kind of a mess, then um, often we need help to get out of that mess. Does that make sense? Normally people can't clean that up by themselves. If they could have, they wouldn't have got in the mess in the first place. Does that make sense? Um, Our lives sometimes can look like that. Or... Sometimes as Christians, we're really good at letting Jesus into some of the rooms of our lives, but keep him out of others. So sometimes it's just one room of our life. It might be our relationship room, or our finance room, or our sexuality room. But sometimes there's a room we haven't let Jesus in yet, and it still looks like that. And so this morning, I want to talk about how what Jesus did on the cross can clean our mess up. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes I've tried for years to clean messes up in my life. And then I give up and give it to God, and suddenly my room gets cleaned up. I'm like, oh, should have tried that earlier. When I was a kid growing up in the Salvos, we used to sing a song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. If you went down the street singing that today... Out loud, people either ring the police, mental health, or their RSPCA. Oh, they just ignore you because, you know, that's what people do today. They just drive past, let you die on the side of the road, but that's okay. Sorry. Um, you know, and a friend of mine came to pick me up from church one night, and he saw my silver uniform on, and on the, on the collar it said, blood and fire. And he wasn't a Christian, this guy. And he goes, why well, is this kind of some weird Nazi youth regime or something? Like, blood and fire. What, what are you guys really? And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to look at, because we talk about the blood of Jesus. And sometimes it can just be a religious term. Is there really power in the blood? And I believe there is. And we're just going to look at a few verses and hopefully we can see how powerful the blood of Jesus is, was and is, and what it's done for us. Is that okay? So on your seats, there's a little handout. You can fill in the blanks if you like and follow along. The answers will be, answers for the blanks will be on the screen. But I'm starting off in the Old Testament because um, in the Old Testament, there's often a picture in the physical 
to explain the future spiritual, if that makes sense. And so when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea and came out again, there's a picture there of baptism and salvation. That they went down into the water, they came out of the water and they were saved from the Egyptians. It's a, it was a pointing forward to the fact that Jesus' death on the cross and our baptism into his death and back out is our salvation coming alive to Christ, if that makes sense. So I'm just going to look at another picture in the Old Testament that points to what Jesus did on the cross. Um, number one, it was the blood that made the altar significant. So in Old Testament times, um, you know, they made the tabernacle and they had an altar on there. And um, Leviticus 8.15 says, Moses, this is where Moses was, um, he was preparing Aaron and his sons to be the priests of the tabernacle. And this was the process they went through. So Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood and with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Now, that sounds all really weird, doesn't it? What are you putting blood on an altar for? And so we've got another picture there of the altar. I'd, I'd never actually realized this before. But the altar is, when it says the horns of the altar, this is what the altar looked like. So the horns of the altar were actually those corner bits, if that makes sense. In verse 14, so before verse 15 that I just read, the bull was before the bull was killed, it said, He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Now this is really interesting because the Hebrew word here for laying the hands on the head um, is more than lightly placing the hand. It gives the idea of the pressing hard upon the, cat, the bullock's head. They came each one and leaned upon the, the bullock or the bull, loading him with their burden, signifying their acceptance of its substitution, their joy that the Lord would accept that victim instead of them. When they put their hands on the bull, they made a confession of sin. So in other words, the idea was they put their hand on the bull before it was killed and sacrificed, and they pressed hard as a symbol of I am transferring my weakness and my sin and my offense to God onto this bull and then it's sacrificed. Does that make sense? And this morning when we come to our appeal time, I want to give you the opportunity to press your hands hard on the cross. That in itself does nothing, but combined with faith, I'm going to invite you to transfer anything that you're carrying that you shouldn't be carrying onto the cross of Christ. Because that's what his death did. It takes away our sin, takes away our weakness, and he carries it so that we don't have to. <clears throat> the word purified there in verse 15 um, in the Hebrew here is the same word in a sense used for sin. It really means to de-sin. So when the blood touched the altar, it de-sinned the altar. It cleansed the altar. It set it apart. When I was a kid in the salvos, we used to, um, I never understood this. When we'd buy new instruments for the brass band, they'd set them all lovely along the platform and they would, said they would consecrate them. And I thought, that's weird. It's like dead. It's like an altar. It's dead. How do you consecrate a dead thing? But the purpose of that was when I started learning brass at school, I couldn't take my church cornet to school because it had been set apart for the purposes of God. Does that make sense? And so that altar, and there's plenty of altars around in those days, that altar was set apart for the purposes of God. And 
it actually gave it quite significant power in a sense. So number two this morning is the purified altar made that offering acceptable. For seven days, make atonement for the altar. This is back in Exodus. And consecrate it. In other words, set it apart. That's what consecrate means. Then the altar will be most holy. And note this, whatever touches it will be holy. Isn't that interesting? So Andrew Murray says this, The whole purpose here was that because the altar had been cleansed by the blood and set apart, then it meant that the Israelite had no need to fear that his offering might be too small or unworthy. The altar sanctifies the gift that was laid upon it. Does that make sense? Have you ever, have, have you ever thought what you brought to God was too small? Not enough? Well, the Israelites, when they brought their offering, if they felt it was not enough, the altar made it enough because it had been cleansed by the blood. And you know what? When we bring our offering of our lives to Jesus and we feel like it's not enough because Jesus' blood cleansed the cross, then our offering is enough. Does that make sense? I think that's so powerful. God, when we think we don't measure up, you know what? We don't have to. You've probably been told your whole life you don't measure up. And Jesus comes and says, you don't have to. Isn't that good news? Because of what he's done on the cross, I don't have to measure up anymore. I'm feeling the freedom right now. I don't have to measure up to your expectations. Let's make it real today. Hey, I don't have to measure up to your expectations. Because Jesus met God's expectations. So we don't have to. You ever tried to give a gift to someone who's hard to give gifts to? You ever try to give a gift to someone who just loves whatever you give them? I remember one time, I think I made this, you know, you're a kid, right? And I give you this weird craft to do at school. And I think it was Christmas. It's like a little foam tray with some plaster, plaster of Paris. And you stick a pine cone on the top and you paint the thing. Now, there you go. There's an illustration of something as ugly as sin. And this year I bring my little pine cone to my mum. She goes, that's awesome. She sticks it on the top of the fridge. I'm going, can you get that, put that somewhere else? You know, when we come to God with a little messed up pine cone, he looks at it and he says, that's awesome. And he sticks it on the fridge and he can only do that because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we try too hard to please God, we don't understand what the cross means. Next time you try too hard to please God, you don't remind yourself you've forgotten what the cross means. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, as long as my heart's in it, I mean, I'm bringing my best. And I've done that. I've bought presents for people. And my heart was in it, and it was my best effort, and they didn't seem to appreciate it. Disappointing, isn't it? But that's not God. If you do your best, so I'm not talking about being a slacker, right? I'm just saying having your best, you just give it your best effort. And I don't know about you, sometimes when I give my best effort, I still fall short by 100 miles. And God says, you know what, I love your pine cone. I love your best effort. I know you fell short by 100 miles, but I still love it. And that's what the blood 
on the altar did for the Israelites that meant whatever pathetic best effort they could bring, because their best is never good enough for God, by the way. Doesn't matter how smart or talented you think you are, our best is never good enough for him. And so they brought whatever they brought their best effort to the altar, and because the altar was cleansed by the blood of the sacrifice, the offering was good enough. For me, that's good news today. Because I don't measure up for a lot of people, but I don't have to. As long as I bring my best effort. As long as I bring my heart's best effort. If it still doesn't measure up, it doesn't have to. Now I want to bring this into the whole picture of Jesus. And we've kind of covered it already in a sense. But the blood of Jesus makes the cross significant. You know, the Roman cross was just another brutal way that Romans killed people. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but you know... I don't know how you'd even picture this, but we wear crosses around our neck and people think this is, you know, people understand what we're talking about. But if you wore an electric chair around your neck, people would think you were weird. Why? Because Jesus wasn't killed in an electric chair. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus, what he did on the cross was what makes the cross significant. If Jesus never died on the cross, no one would be wearing one around their neck. They wouldn't be sticking one at the end of a grave. It's because of the blood of Jesus on the cross that actually made the cross something powerful, something significant, something life-changing. In Hebrews, an interesting verse, the writer to the Hebrews, just so they were, they were Christian Jews, these people, right? And they're getting a hard time for leaving Judaism and going to Christianity. And so the, the Jews were giving these Jewish Christians a hard time. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews said to them, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle, in other words, the old Jewish system, have no right to eat. Their friends and relatives remaining in traditional Judaism labelled these Jewish Christians illegitimate because they did not continue in the old system. But the writer to the Hebrews insisted that we have an altar. It is an altar that those who cling to the old Jewish system have no right to. Essentially, our altar, and you know what I hadn't realized is, our altar is a cross. Have you ever realized that cross is an altar? Jesus turned the cross into an altar. So I've got another slide there just of a cross, but you think, I want you to picture the old stone altar of the Old Testament. Jesus turned the old stone altar where you'd bring animal sacrifices into a cross altar where he made a sacrifice once for all. Are you glad we don't have to find, you know, a pigeon or a lamb and bring it in here and slaughter it and have the stone? I'm so glad we don't have to do that. It was just a picture and it worked for the Israelites by faith, but it pointed towards the cross so that when Jesus died on the cross, we were made right with God. So the point I really want to get to today is the cross of Christ has the power. Galatians 2.20. The cross of Christ has the power to clean up my mess. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. In verse 20 here, Paul writes, I'm crucified with Christ. He means that by faith, he belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and he accepts in the Lord Jesus Christ death to himself even as it came to him. The believer joins him on Calvary's cross and reckons himself indeed to be dead. In other words, when Jesus was crucified, when we put our faith in his crucifixion, we end up on that cross with him. We have to die to self before we can live in Christ's power. And this is what Paul was saying. He says, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Yet not I, in the sense of his human ego. He was not the old Saul, the Pharisee, but Christ lived in him. There was a new life in him and it is the life of Christ. Just as the Israelites brought their sacrifice to the altar and it was sanctified by the altar, we bring our sacrifice, our lives to the cross. But remember, the Israelite sacrifice had to die. And so, as Paul said, we need to come to the cross by faith and be crucified with Christ. Our old human nature is crucified. Then we experience a new life of Christ and our life gets cleaned up. I've been reminded this week of, um, you ever done a play or a drama and it hasn't quite turned out how you thought it would? Um, so it was one Easter, probably, what are we in, 29 years ago, we're at the Belmont High School Hall. We did these stations of the cross, you know. And we have, you know, there'd be this little dramatized thing and everyone would gather around and we'd have some Bible readings, a short talk, and then we moved to the next station. Then the last station was the cross. And so um, one of the guys acting out Jesus on the cross, we'd made a cross and we'd put it in the, we'd made it, you know, we're trying to make it authentic. And so we put it in the, so we had the cross down, we tied his arms to the cross, we had a little platform so he didn't really get crucified, so he could stand on it, have his arms out, had it tied to the cross. Then we lifted it up and we stuck it in the ground or however we did it in the high school grounds. And then I'm standing there, I was one of the soldiers, and and my mate who was on the cross said, I can't feel my hands. So I went across to the person doing the talk and said, you're nearly finished? And as I turned around to look at my mate, his eyes rolled into the back of his head. We tied the ropes too tight on his arms and he'd passed out. It was the most authentic stations I'd ever been part of. But we kind of wrecked the mood because we had to snap the cross off in the ground and get him down quick as we could and get him untied so he could come back too. But it was an authentic picture. It was an authentic picture. We're just reminded this morning of a song that the lads used to sing, I want a cross with a pillow and a hill with a view. The cross doesn't come with a pillow, friends. It comes with nails and it comes with death. See, before we experience the life of Jesus, we've got to experience the death to self. And for those who may have been baptized, that's what it's all about. You can't come out of the water until you've gone under the water. And going under the water symbolizes death to self, death to me, death to what I want. It's funny in the church, isn't it? Because dead people can't complain. 
So when I'm complaining, I'm not dead enough. And I think to the degree that I'm emptied of self is to the degree that I'm full of the Holy Spirit and His power to overcome whatever. And suddenly my, I don't need rights anymore. I have Jesus. I don't have to fight for my rights because He does. I can just trust Him. It just shifts, just shifts everything. So let's go back to our photo. I don't know, maybe you've got your whole house cleaned up today. I haven't got my whole house cleaned up yet. I've been doing my best to let Jesus into every room. Sometimes I shut him out of some of them. But today's just an opportunity to let him into whatever room that may represent. Whatever part of our lives might still be messed up. And allow him to come and do all the work for us. How cool is that? And after we let him in, this is what the same room. Let's have a look. Look at that. You know, the messed up parts of my life, I want to look like that. Who would you rather invite someone into? The first photo or that photo? So the band is going to come. And um, there's a couple of things we can do today. Um, one is communion, and I want this to be open to the kids as well, because I know there's been a couple of times when my kids have taken communion. It's been really powerful for them. Don't underestimate the power of communion when it's combined by faith. And so if you'd like to come and just, um, just this is just, it's not going to be formal today. It's just as you feel led, okay? As the band plays, you can stand and worship. You can sit and meditate. You can come and take communion. We've got plenty of time, heaps of time, okay? And we want to allow this time for you to engage with the Holy Spirit, for you to engage with Jesus this morning. This is your turn to engage. Um, the cross is here, and you know sometimes we do different things with the cross, but after preparing that sermon, I thought, you know, it may be helpful this morning for people to come and, and just press hard on this. And in the pressing hard, like they used to press hard on the bull's head, go, you know what, God, I've been carrying such and such for such a long time. I really want to give it to you today. And if it helps you to press hard, to let that go, then press hard. That's why we haven't got the cross on the table today because we thought someone might want to press hard enough to push it off the table. So it's on the floor so you can press as hard as you need to to make sure that by faith you're transferring any of your junk that you don't want to carry anymore onto Jesus because that's why He died on the cross to take our junk off us, to clean up our room. The other thing on your seats is just a little square of blank paper. And you may this morning, if you haven't done this before, you need to do it again because Paul said, I die daily. So when he talked about being crucified with Christ, he talked about every day in his mind, he was dead to self and alive to Jesus. And so you may want to just write your name on that bit of paper and come and say, you know what, Jesus, I want to die to self because I want to live in you. I want you to live through me. I want to live a powerful life full of your spirit. I'm sick of falling over. I'm sick of, you know, failing. I'm sick of doing the same thing over and over again. I'm just done. And I want to come and I want to surrender and I want to give up my way of doing things and start doing things your way. So there's just three things we can do. Um, if you're worried about getting down, I'll help you get back up. 
Otherwise, you can use this cross because it's just symbolic, okay? So if you don't want to kneel down, just come and stand and place your hands on this one and hold it hard. Same thing. Like it's just symbolism. It's really the faith behind it that's going to make any difference. So let me pray. And then as the band plays, and they've got quite a number of songs. So we don't have to be hurried. We've got plenty of time. But whatever would be helpful for you today to transfer your mess onto the cross, just do that. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you didn't leave us messed up, that you came. And Lord, we're sorry that we've tried to fix our own mess. We're not good at it, but. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would surrender and allow you to clean up our room, to clean up our house, to clean up whatever needs cleaning up. May we allow you to do it. Because, Lord, we know when you do it, you do an awesome job. You do a thorough job. And you give us the power to keep the room clean. So, Lord, may we not only feel cleansed today, may we feel empowered to walk clean lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.